0: Well, good morning, glad you all are here, a little hot, Doug, I don't mean I look good, my mic's a little hot, so if you would uh, adjust that, it'd be great, glad you all are here. Hey, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke this morning, so you got Matthew, you got Mark, and then you'll find Luke, Luke chapter 14 to be specific, as we continue on in our summer sermon series Entitled No More Excuses. We're in part six, which I have entitled The Parable of the Party Poopers. Yes, The Party Poopers. The Parable of the Party Poopers. Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 14. We'll begin, uh, oh, in verse one. We'll take a cursory look at verses one through 15. And then we'll focus in our attention in verse 15 through verse 23. Let's pray, trust that you're there, and we'll dive in. Father, it has been such a privilege this morning for us just to be together, for us to offer to you the praise of our lips, the songs of worship and of adoration that you deserve, to offer to you just a portion of what you've provided for us, and we give back to you that generously and full of thanksgiving for your goodness and grace to us. And Father, now we come with Bibles in hand, and we are so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us in many ways, but you have given us this word, this sure foundation that we can build our life upon, and that you have revealed to us your very Son, the Son of God incarnate, fully God, fully man, who lived for us and who died for us and who now reigns on high, awaiting his return. And it's for his return we long and ask would come very quickly. But until then, we pray that you would, through your Spirit, work on our hearts and in our midst and in our lives through this Word. In particular, as we look at this parable, God, we pray that you would help us to learn and to see very clearly if we have never trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior and begin to walk with him as Lord. And we're giving excuses as to why we have not done that. Lord, through your Spirit, open our hearts and minds that we may see if we are acting as party poopers, as the men in this parable did. We ask your presence among us and your power as well, through the great name of Jesus, our King, and all of God's people said together, amen. Well, friends, nobody likes a party pooper, right? Nobody likes a party pooper. According to the Urban Dictionary, a party pooper is, quote, a person who ruins a party a person who ruins a party either by stopping the fun that is being had at that party or by simply not participating in the fun, simply choosing to not come to the party. And in that sense, we know who is the party pooper and uh, who is not. For instance, maybe you've invited a friend or a family member to some birthday party, some celebration, only to have them say, You know, my calendar is full. I've got socks to fold uh, tonight. I'm sorry. I can't come to your party. We might say... You're a party pooper, right? Because they gave an excuse for not coming to a perfectly legitimate and fun celebration. You know, back when I was in Dallas, I served at uh, at a Baptist church there as a youth pastor. You can see it on the screen behind me. Uh, it's called Northway Baptist Church. And uh, we went through a period, about two or three years into my ministry there, that I only had a slight uh, a slight hand in, but we went through a period of really re-envisioning uh, what the church should be. And a part of that vision process, we came to the realization that the community around the church there in sort of north central Dallas had dramatically changed and the demographics had changed and we didn't know our neighbors in the church. Uh, very well. And so we decided to uh, to sort of make an effort, a real substantial effort, to reach out to neighborhoods and communities around us. And one of the ideas that one of the pastors had was to throw a, a community block party. And so uh, plans were made, invitations were sent out. In fact, I think we uh, knocked on doors and sent out invitations to every address within a certain radius there in, in Dallas of our church. And we made preparations. There would be games. There would be food. Of course, there would be fun. And uh, the the day arrived, and we anxiously awaited for uh, the invited guests to our our church party. And what do you think happened? Well, you guessed it. There were lots of party poopers in our neighborhood, right? Uh, The turnout was very minimal, to say the least. We were very disappointed. In response to our gracious invitation for food and fun and fellowship, and of course, most importantly, an opportunity to hear a message that, if received, could alter their eternities forever, many, many people in our neighborhood uh, refused our invitation. They were, so to speak, party poopers that day. I'm sure that you've noticed that there's a kind of a formal setting here in front of us, it's not something we normally do, and you may have wondered why there is a banqueting table, if you will, in front of us, and I'd like to share with you the reason why we are uh, doing that, something a little bit differently today. Friends, I want you all to know that you've been, been invited to a party. You've been invited to a feast, a, a banquet to be exact, and it's, it's really no normal everyday party. It is the party to end all parties, It is the feast to end all feasts. It is the banquet that trumps all banquets. And friends, you don't want to miss it. Yes, you have been invited to a party by none other than Jesus Christ himself. He is the host of the party. And friends, he is requesting your presence at the banqueting table. And today I want to tell you how you can have dinner with Jesus for all eternity. Of course, this is a, an image. It's, it's a metaphor, right? It's, it's, it's a picture of the joys and the delights of being with Jesus in his eternal kingdom. In fact, Jesus himself, multiple times, speaks of heaven, speaks of eternity, speaks of the kingdom of God as being a great feast as being a great banquet, as as being a great party. In fact, if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 14, just take a look at Luke chapter 13, just one chapter before. There in verse 29, Jesus talks about, he likens the kingdom of God to a great feast that will happen one day. And there in verse 29, he says that all sorts of people non-Jewish people like me and you will be at the banqueting table. Verse 29 of Luke 13. He says, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Friends, this would have been shocking to Jesus' original Jewish hearers. And it's fitting then as we move from chapter 13 to Luke chapter 14, that there in verse 1, Jesus finds himself, of course, very fittingly, at a party. He finds himself at a at a banqueting table, if you will. And he uses the opportunity to flesh out what he had just said in Luke chapter 13. He talks about the the great feast in the kingdom of God. And he's able to clarify through the parable, starting in verse 15, that we'll be looking at this morning, why non-Jewish people, people like me and, and people like you, will find themselves at the kingdom party. And he's going to say this morning, in the parable we're going to look at, that Gentiles, me and you, are going to find our places at the feast in the kingdom of God because many of the Jews who were invited refused to come. They refused to come to Jesus' kingdom party. You could say they were party poopers. Not only do we see in this parable that they refused Jesus' invitation, but we're also going to notice that they gave some excuses hence our sermon series, some excuses as to why they rejected Jesus' kingdom invitation, and and even still today, why many, many people, and I pray that none of them are you, but why many people refuse Jesus' kingdom invitation to have dinner, to have fellowship with him for all eternity. But before we jump into the parable, starting roughly in verse 15, I want us to see a bit of the context, a bit of the, 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 the place, if you will, of this parable. It helps us understand what Jesus is saying. So if you have your Bibles open, we're just going to take a quick look, kind of a summary glance at verses 1 through 15 as we take a look at the place in which this parable w- was given. Notice there in verse 1 we see that Jesus is eating in the home of a prominent Pharisee, and it's the Sabbath day. That is, it's Saturday. And while the rest of the Pharisees, who happened to be at this party, they were watching Jesus closely. Say, See, they had decided already to reject him and his kingdom offer, and so they want to catch him to see if, if he would violate their interpretation of what could and couldn't be done on the Sabbath day. Sure enough, we see uh, there in, in verses 2 through 6 that there was a man at that party, and this man had a, had, a, had a physical ailment. This is not a friendly dinner party. See, Jesus wasn't invited to this party for fun and games. This was a setup for accusation. And so Jesus sees this man who was suffering, and he defiantly heals him. See, this man likely hadn't been invited to the party because the rich and influential Pharisee wanted him there. No, this man was invited uh, to be a tool to set up Jesus. And Jesus, in a sense, he takes the bait. He shows them his authority over the Sabbath. He heals the man and he demonstrates both to them at the party and to us that, man, those that we and they often consider to be unwanted and unclean and unworthy of His kingdom are precisely the type of people that will be in the kingdom. Take a look at verse seven. There, starting in verse verse seven, running through verse eleven, we see that uh, the 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 proud Pharisees uh, are, are kind of jockeying for prime positions around the table. And Jesus sees this. He sees that they're kind of looking for, for places of honor. And so he rebukes them as if the, the party and the tension in the room wasn't already high enough. Jesus sees this happening and he rebukes uh, the guests of the party. He's like, no, 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 that's, that's not how it should be. He humiliates them. and He, he gives them a message about humility and as if the party had not already soured enough, Jesus is then, then turns to the host, and he embarrasses the host, and he says, friend, you've invited the wrong type of people. Why didn't you invite, invite the poor and the lame and the outcast, those that the Jews considered unclean and unwanted? He says, you should have invited those people to this type of party. Well, you can tell that the tension at this party is high, right? It's just awkward. And so at the tail end of verse 14, take a look at that. Jesus mentions the resurrection of the righteous the resurrection of the righteous. And for the Jew, they would have associated the resurrection of the righteous with the coming kingdom of of God, with this great feast in the kingdom of God. And so in verse 15, there is this guest, and and this is kind of how I imagine it. You know, it's just like an awkward party. You know, Jesus has offended all the guests. He's offended the host. They're just kind of sitting there. The tension is just really high. And so in my mind, there's this guy who feels that tension and he doesn't like tension. And so he's like, I'm going to say something that we all can agree upon. I'm just going to say something to kind of, to kind of break through, to slice through the tension of, of the party. And, and he picks up on Jesus's mention of the resurrection of the righteous in verse 14. And notice what he says at the tail end of verse 15. He says, he says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's kind of like he, he was saying, um, boy, yeah, we're at the resurrection of the dead, when, when the feast at the kingdom comes, it's going to be a great day. Right, guys? Right? And he expects all the other Pharisees to say amen. And he expects even Jesus to say amen. It's going to be a great day in the coming feast in the kingdom of God. But Jesus takes the opportunity. He takes the opportunity to correct a wrong presumption. What did, that, what did that man presume? See, he presumed that he would be at the table in the kingdom of God. Didn't he? And he presumed that his Pharisee friends would be at the table in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus takes the opportunity to correct them. See, they thought, being Pharisees, that they were a few notches better than most other Jews and certainly than those Gentile dogs. And so, in response, Jesus is going to give this parable. I'll call it the parable of the party poopers. And he wants them to see that, listen, They are not going to be a part of the feast and the kingdom of God because they are refusing the invitation of the king. Jesus, the king of the kingdom, was among them, and they had chosen to reject him. And so to their dismay and even their surprise, Jesus is going to tell them that many of them will not be in the kingdom. So let's take a look at the parable, starting in verse 16. Starting in verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So in these introductory verses, Jesus sort of paints a scenario. It would have been a very familiar scene in his day. Uh, You would have wealthy hosts, and they would have a party. And they would invite all of their friends that were like them, all of the guests. They would send out uh, a messenger to say, hey, I'm going to have this party. Would you like to come? And then they would expect what would be equivalent to an RSVP uh, from the invited guests, and they would send that RSVP back. And he would have a head count, and so the preparations for the party would begin. And it often took quite a while to throw such a lavish party. Finally, when the time, uh, the day of the, the party would come, the rich host would then send out that same messenger and say, Hey, now is the time. Come to the party that you were invited to, and you said that you would come to. Now let's think about this. What is Jesus saying in this parable? In the parable, of course, Jesus, I think, likens himself to the host. And he is inviting, in particular, the nation of Israel to his kingdom banquet. But but more than the the nation of Israel, the Jews, uh, uh, generically, I think he was inviting a certain type of guest, the Pharisees, the very folks that he was having dinner with in that moment. And so they were invited. They had sent their RSVP. And Jesus, in a sense, was saying, Now is the time. The kingdom of heaven is upon you. The king, I am with you. Everything is now ready. So returning to the parable, a surprising thing happens, starting in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I, I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I, I just got married, so I can't come. Now notice, in each scenario, in each case, the excuse given for not attending the party is revealing. What does it reveal? It reveals their priorities, does it not? It reveals what the people in, in, in the parable really desired, what was most important to them, See, for the new landowner, I think it was his preoccupation with his possessions. For the oxen owner, his, the newly, the newfound oxen owner, it was his, I think, his business. It was his profession, if you will, that was more important than attending this party. For the man who just got married, you could say it was his pleasure that was most important to him. And so three excuses are given. How do you think the host of the party will respond. How will the host respond when there are so many party poopers out there? Well, verse 21 shows us, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, The blind and the lame. Wow, this is a shocking turn of events. With those who had been invited, they having shunned the host. The host doesn't decide to postpone the party until they can attend. What does he do? He says the party must go on. And so he reaches out. He goes to the the streets and the alleys of the town in which he was throwing the party. And he invites people that weren't originally invited. The type of people that were unexpected. The poor. Those who were physically limited. Those who were considered unwanted, unclean by the very Pharisees who were listening to the parable that he was giving. See, these are the type of people that Jesus chided the host for not inviting to his party. And now he includes those type of people in this parable. It's shocking. And if this didn't anger the self-righteous Pharisees at the party, in particular the host, what Jesus says next in the parable would have infuriated them. Verse 22, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. See, in that culture, you wouldn't begin the party until all of the, the, the seats at the table, if you will, were filled, until all of the guests had arrived. And so the servant comes back and he says, I've done what you said, but listen, there are still places at the table. And so, shockingly, in the parable, the host says, Go even further out. Go even further out. Go, Go to the roads. Go to the country lanes. Compel them that they may come in. See, what Jesus was saying here, he's implying very strongly that those, that the Pharisees that were around his table, those that were considered inferior, unclean, but Jewish, yes, they would be invited as well. But not just that, there would be Gentiles. There would be non-Jews who would come and be invited to this feast. Well, the parable ends then with the master reiterating in verse 24, that none of those who were originally invited to the party would have an opportunity to attend his party. Verse 24, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. See, his point to the Pharisees around the table at which he sat was unmistakable. He is telling them, if you reject me as your Messiah, if you reject me as your King and as your Savior, you will not have a spot at the table in my heavenly banquet. He is telling them upon their presumption that they would attend the kingdom party that they would not attend the kingdom party because the king was among them. He was inviting them to come and they had rejected him. So, we've seen the place of the parable and we've seen the parable itself. I want us to end now in preparation for communion by taking a look at some of the points that we can glean from this short but powerful parable. I've got about six of them for you and I to consider. Number one, number one, I think the parable shows us that we should not assume that we have a place at the kingdom table. That we shouldn't just assume it. See, this parable is a warning, not only to the Pharisees that sat around the table in which Jesus sat, but to me and you, to those of us who are Pharisee-like in that we assume that we will be in the kingdom. We assume that we will have a place at the table because we are religious, because we adhere to the law, because we are morally superior, because of, quite frankly, our moral and religious performance. The Pharisees thought they were better than the other people morally, religiously, and so they assumed that they, that they would have a spot at the table. And Jesus said, it's just the opposite. So friend, let me ask you, are you trusting in some kind of religious performance? Are you trusting in some kind of morality, some kind of good behavior To earn you a seat at the table at the kingdom of God. Because friends, if you are, you will not have a seat at the table in the kingdom of God. Whether you're trusting in being a good person, maybe you're trusting in church attendance, maybe you're saying I've been baptized, whatever it is, none of those things will earn you a spot at the the table. Friends, we have to ask, are we assuming because we're religious, because we're moral people that we have a place at the table? Jesus says, no, that's not how you get a place at my table. That's not how you find yourself in my heavenly kingdom. It's not through morality. It's not through religion. Don't assume you have a place, which leads us to point number two. How do you find yourself at the kingdom table? if it's not through religious or moral performance. Well, point number two, having a place at the kingdom table depends upon your response to the invitation of the king. That's what we see very clearly in this parable, do we not? That having a place at the kingdom table depends how we respond when the king invites us to his party. See, in the parable, those who refused the king's invitation, they forfeited their seat at the table while those who accepted it gained a seat at the table everyone was invited but many refused see not those those who are not at the party this is an important point from this parable those who don't end up at the kingdom table do so because they choose so right they are there because they willingly rejected the offer of the king did they not friends i wonder if that will be any of you. I pray that it will be not. But friends, the king has offered you a place at the table. There is an invitation offered, and you have to respond to the king. Everyone has to respond to the king. Some people accept his invitation, some people reject his invitation, but there is no option C. You receive it, or you reject it. So having a place at the kingdom table, well, it depends on how you respond to the invitation of the king, but then that begs a question, what is the nature of that invitation? I think we learned from this parable quite a bit about the nature of the invitation, of Jesus' invitation for us to be with him for all eternity at his kingdom banquet, and that's point number three. See, the invitation here in the parable jesus 's invitation is an invitation of grace. It is an invitation based completely on the grace of God. What is grace when we talk about grace? Grace simply refers to a gift that is um, received freely by you. It is a gift to be freely received, but it comes at the cost of another. Do you get that Grace is a gift that you can only receive that you don't pay for, but somebody else has to pay for. It is unmerited or unearned favor. That is what the grace of God is. And friends, when we look at the parable, isn't that what is being offered by the host here? I mean, just think about the nature of the invitation here. The servant's invitation was simply this. Come, for everything is now ready. Isn't that the the invitation in the parable? Come, come to the table. It is prepared for you. Come to the table. Everything is ready. In the parable, all the people needed to, to bring was what? Did they need to bring their morality? Did they need to bring their religion? No, all they had to bring was themselves and their appetite. Who picked up the tab at this party? It wasn't the guests, right? It was the host. The host paid for the party. It's a great picture to us of the free nature of God's gospel invitation, right? That God offers us forgiveness of sins, a relationship with him, of reconciliation to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, of of, of new life, and it's offered to us for free. And he pays for it. Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross. But friends, this free and gracious nature of the invitation It's hard for many of us to accept, isn't it? Because in our pride, we don't like to accept things that other people paid for. It is an assault on our pride. There's a great story told about a pastor at Christmas time, and he was trying to illustrate the free nature of the gospel. And so he, he had on stage a poinsettia, and he said, Hey, right now, whoever wants the poinsettias can come and take them. They're absolutely free. Who wants them? And at first, nobody came forward. But then uh, a mother in the back kind of raised her hand timidly and said, Pastor, I'll take them. And he said, "Well, well, come on forward take him. And she did. She came forward and she got the poinsettias and she sat down. And so he had his illustration. He launched into his message on, on Romans 6.23 that the gift of God to us is eternal life, free to all who will personally receive it. And he thought he had done good. But after, as the story continues, after the service, the, the mom approached him and she ha- she held out her fist like this to him. And she said, take this pastor. And he replied, what are you talking? What is this? She said, these flowers are just so beautiful. And, and I just couldn't possibly with a clear conscience, take them for nothing. So, so, so here, and she handed him a crumpled piece of paper. It was a $10 bill. Friends, isn't that how we are? God offers us the free gift of forgiveness of sins, of salvation through faith in Christ, but our Pride is assaulted, and so we want to say, oh, that's nice, but here, take this, God, take my morality, take my religion, take my my giving, and God says, it's free or it's nothing at all, right? And that's the nature of the gospel. It is a gracious invitation. What then is our response to that gracious gift that God offers us through his son, Jesus? Well, I think we also see it in the parable, and it leads to point number four, the response then to this invitation is a response of faith. If the, if the gift is a gift of grace, then our response must be a response of faith. The only response that fits with an offer of grace is that of receiving or trusting or believing faith. And isn't that respo- the response that we see in the parable? That's exactly what we see. He said, Come, and those who are willing to come, came came believing that it was so. One commentator by the name of Cole, I think, insightfully says this. He says of those who received this invitation in the parable, quote, They all accepted the offer because the servant convinced them that they were welcome, and they clearly knew their own need. They were hungry. They believed the offer, and they responded personally to it. He goes on to say the invitation was not based upon anything in the recipients. It was based totally on the goodness and the bounty of the host. All that these people had to do was recognize their hunger, believe that the offer was true, and say, yes, I will come to the party. That, my friends, is a response of faith. It's a receiving response to the gospel invitation of Jesus Christ. Well, if the, the invitation is, a, is an invitation of grace and the response is a, is a response of faith, why do people not come? Well, the fifth point is this. Some people don't come because they don't want to. Notice, what were some of the excuses in the parable that people gave for not coming to the kingdom Banquet, And it leads to question number five, what excuses might we be giving for not coming to the kingdom banquet, for not responding to this gift of grace by personal faith in Jesus? Just as in the parable, sadly, many today, just like the three men in the parable, are making excuses for rejecting Jesus's gracious kingdom offer. There might be some here today, even who, like these men in the parable, are so caught up in a pursuit of possessions, maybe, or their profession, maybe, or their pleasures, maybe that they forego a spot at the table. It reveals their values. Maybe you are today rejecting Jesus and his invitation to be Savior and Lord because you are so focused on possessions. More and more, more and more toys, more and more accessories, more and more experiences, more and more whatever it is. Friends, so many people in life are pursuing possessions. And Jesus said, like that man in the parable, they're saying, I'd rather enjoy my possessions now in this life than have a party with Jesus for." all of the next life. Maybe it's, like the, maybe it's like the second man who rejected the the kingdom offer because he or was focused on his career, on his profession, you know, going up the corporate ladder, building those assets, growing the business, adding employees, whatever it might be for your profession. And you're wrapped up in your work and you have no time to respond to the invitation of the king. Maybe like the third man, Many of us today live for pleasure, whatever that might be. It might be sexual pleasure. It might be comfort or leisure or food, whatever it might be, and we are so wrapped up in pursuing pleasure that we say, "Mm, no thanks. We don't want the kingdom offer. So friends, let me humbly ask, if you're here today and you know that you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, what excuses are you giving for not having a place at the table. Well, point number six, it's good news. There is still room at the table for you. Take comfort that the messenger's words are for you as well. There is still room. See, in the parable, one of the things that I love about the image of Jesus in this parable is that it shows us a picture of his character. The host of the party pursues vigilantly those who are willing to receive his invitation. Notice the language back in verse 23. He, he, he told his, his messenger, his servant, he said, compel them to come. Did you notice that language? Urge them to come. There's a, an old uh, poem. It's an English poem, and the author's name was Francis Thomason. And in his poem, it's about 182 lines, it's a very lengthy poem, but it's pretty interesting. And in that poem, the, the English poet Francis Thomason likens God and he calls God the hound of heaven, like the dog hound, right? The, the hound of heaven. And in that poem, he, he, he shows how God is a God of love her, who, who pursues sinners, Unbeliever, know that God is not only inviting you to the table, he is pursuing you. Even though you may be running away from him, he is pursuing you. He is the hound of heaven. And he wants you to know that you're invited. And he wants you to know that there's room at the table for you. I think of the old hymn, you may be familiar with the great old hymn, and the chorus goes something like this. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for what? Do you know it? One, right? Though millions have come, there's still room for one. I love that. Friends, it's true. Though millions have come and received the gospel of Jesus and have secured their place in the kingdom banquet, there is still room for one. So here's how we're going to close our time. Number one, if you are here today and you've never Received Jesus' gospel invitation to be a part of his heavenly banquet. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and I'll lead you in a prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ so that you can secure your RSVP for the banquet of God. And friends, if you're here today and you know that you've sent in your RSVP, you know that you will be in that heavenly banquet, then we're going to respond with joy and with gladness by remembering how we got there. Because, friends, you only have a place at the banquet of God through the cross of Christ. That's the only way. And so we are going to remember the the blood of Jesus shed for us in in, in the cup. And we're going to remember the body of Jesus torn, broken apart for us in the bread. And we're going to respond, if we're Christians, by coming to the table and remembering and rejoicing in the fact that we will be at that kingdom banquet. So if you would pray with me now as we prepare to respond.